Hello and welcome to Journeys in Grace. My name is Pastor Eric Hubbard. I want to thank you for being with us as we go and study the Word of God. Today we're going to go into a new series about how to avoid running on empty. And before we begin, I want to give you a couple of ways of reaching out to us. One is through email at pastoreric523 at gmail.com. That's pastoreric523 at gmail.com. Or you can write us at Pastor Eric, Post Office Box 4473, Marietta, Georgia, 30061. And again, we're going to start a, uh, a series today on how to avoid running on empty. And a lot of things uh, can take our attention today. And, you know, you have no needs, all of us. You know, we have family concerns. We have uh, work concerns. We have things that just uh, come against our mind. And as believers, it's our job and our hope that we stay on fire or stay um, uh, at a place where, you know, we can hear God that, you know, when, when opportunities come that we are ready to avail ourselves of them or take advantage of them, whether it's just the time to share a kind word with someone or God has opened up an opportunity, whether it be business or in relationship or whatever that thing may be, that we are aware of it. And one of the things that I believe, uh, one of the scriptures rather, that uh, I'm going to use today as out of the book of uh, Romans, Romans the fifth chapter, Romans the first chapter, and we're going to start around the twenty-first verse. So we're going to, let's start out today in Romans, um, Romans one, and verse number twenty-one. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures before that, as I many times do. I'll start in one, and then want to make sure you get the whole context of what we're talking about, because uh, as we read this, Paul is writing to the Roman church, and he begins to tell them about how that people and men and we even as believers fall away or we become cold or our our hearts uh, uh, the bible at times calls it the heart wax gross meaning just like a candlestick uh, back in the old school days where they would take a wick which was basically a cord and they would dip it in the hot wax and they would dip that cord over and over that cord called a wick up and down in that wick until it built up on it and after that when they set it aside and it cooled they use that as a candle. So that's the same way that our heart can become if we run on empty. And what I mean by run on empty is when we allow the cares of this life, the issues of this life to just overwhelm us and not include God. I think that's one of the worst places we can be when we take on all of the, our concerns. Well, again, whether it's uh, things on the job, uh, relationship issues, money issues, all of these things, we allow them to, to, to take precedent over our relationship with the Father. I know I've done it at times where I get so busy, you know, we get busy with work, we get busy with uh, the present emergency, and everything else takes precedent, rather than just taking a step back and saying, Lord, how do you want me to handle this? <clears throat> and we're going to have a couple of examples today, I'm going to go over, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to go over and we're going to uh, talk about it in scripture, and I pray it be a blessing to you today. So let's start out today in the book of uh, Romans again, chapter 1, verse 28. So it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, now uh, uh, Paul begins to talk to, to the uh, Roman church and tells them, This is what happens. When men fall away, he says, first, 
He said they hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, uh, scripture says they call good evil and evil good. And that's holding the truth in unrighteousness. Um, <clears throat> one of the ways that we know and we can just see as believers is that today the, 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 the sanctity of life as far as, as, far as uh, babies, where we see babies are being aborted. And some people, many believers now, they say, well, you know, it's a woman's choice. You know, it's her choice to what she has that child. And who would want a child to be born into this world? Or it's my choice. It's my body. I do what I want to with it. But as we read the scripture, God, he, he is the giver of life. And so as we read these scriptures, again, we can certainly don't have to go far to, to uh, compare them and, and see where we are today as a family of God or as a church. And I'm talking about the universal church the universal church in this entire world to where <clears throat> it may be not be as bad in your section of the world as it is in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the United States. But there are issues that we all deal with. And what, this is what Paul is saying, that even in his day, he said men were holding the truth in unrighteousness. It's un unfairness. The 19th verse says, because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it unto them. Again, Paul is saying everybody, although people will tell you they're agnostic or they, you know, they have no position. They don't just, just don't believe in the existence of God. They don't, they, they're not God haters. They just don't recognize him. In other words, uh, I've often heard that it's one thing to be hated. <clears throat> it's another to be loved. But the worst thing to be is to be ignored. And I think that's a, just a simple way of people. When you say you're agnostic, you're saying, I don't have an opinion either way. I'm not for God, neither am I against him. I just ignore him. And then we go on to the, uh, to the 20th verse. It says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without an excuse. And then Paul goes on to say, He's saying that they hold the truth and unrighteousness. He says that God has shown these things, uh, uh, the things of God have been manifested or shown to them. And then he goes on to say, listen, although you may be an agnostic or you may be uh, 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 one who said, you know what? There is no God. You know, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I not only do I don't believe in him, but I'm against him <clears throat> because I don't believe I'm an atheist. I am against that thought that there is an eternal power, that there is somehow a spirit that's, uh, that's over all man, that God created heaven and earth, that God, uh, he started life in the earth. Um, that's what the, uh, that, that's what that school of thought is. But Paul begins, begins to call these things out. And then he says in the 21st verse, he says, because when they knew God, Paul is again, stepping over the agnostic or those who say, who are, uh, who deny God or rather who, who are, uh, they just, you know, they're, they're, they're just neutral or those who are atheists that says I am against him. But he says, because when they knew God, he said, that was the time you didn't know him. He said, they didn't do what they didn't glor They glorify him. Not as God. Neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I'm going to read it again. Paul says, because when they knew God, he says, all men have a knowledge. This is what Paul is saying and what I'm saying. All of us at one time or another, we recognize God as God. 
But somewhere along the journey, we come to a point to say, you know, I just either I don't trust him. When I asked him to do something, he didn't do it. When I see, look around me, and I prayed, and none of these things happened, they come to a point to where not only do they deny his existence, but they become against him and will tell others. Why today, if you consider where we are in our uh, society, I'm talking about in, in, in the U.S. where I live, many, you know, you consider a foolish or a fool to believe that God, there is a God that created the, uh, the earth, that God created, the, created man, that God is responsible for keeping his children. And what I mean by the children, I'm talking about the children, the children of God. Because God gave us the power and authority in this earth so that when we reach out to him, he's there. He gave us a savior. And the Bible is, 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 has been come against in every facet and way of life. We've tried to take it out. I'm talking about in, in the U.S. We're taking them out of our government. We don't want them in our schools. We don't want them in our marriages. We don't want our children taught about them. But we will take any and everything and bring it into the church. In my community, there were devil worshipers that wanted to set up and, and did set up an after-school uh, program before the uh, pandemic started in the, around uh, in, in 2020. There, um, you know, the, the, the different sexual uh, preferences and they and, and, and are being taught in the schools. Um, atheism is taught in, the, in colleges where many times we may have our believing children go to school and it seems as though it's the main purpose. And I'm not saying it's written purpose, written uh, uh, thing, but it seems as though professors are taught to say, you know what, one of your main jobs is to preach or, or teach this concept of God and the creator and Jesus Christ as a savior to teach that out of them. So this is where we're going to focus on today. This 21st verse, it says, when they knew God, they did not, they glorified him not as God. They were not thankful, became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So to flip that, if you don't want to run, be running on empty or find yourself up today, down tomorrow, it says what? Glorify God. Be thankful in your heart. Be, be, uh, 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 Point your imagination and expectations toward him and fill your heart with the love of God. That way, that way, you will be go, you will glorify him, you'll be thankful for him, your imagination will be filled with him, and your heart will overflow with the love of God. So we're going to teach on these things for the next few uh few lessons, and I pray that it's a blessing unto you. So as we start out today, first, we're gonna to go to an and just a, a couple of definitions. Out of uh, Romans one twenty one, the first thing it talks about is saying that how that man glorifies not God. So when we talk about glorifying, just to give you a just an old, uh, I went to an old dictionary. Um, I believe it, uh, this dictionary I believe came from the eighteen hundreds, and it, it talks about how that to glorify means to ascribe honor in thought or words. In other words, you assign honor. And when we're talking about honor, when I assign honor to someone, that means that we hold them in high estimation. So in other words, we have an high estimation or an expectation. That's what an estimate is. It's an expectation of the worth of. So when we when we honor someone, you know, when you've you ever been in court, have been called to jury duty, or uh, you might have been in court for a trial, and when the judge walked in, he's, he or she is called your honor. 
because we hold them in high expectation because they are the one that ultimately will rule in that court. Although the jury, if it's a jury trial, uh, he, they will direct the jury on the rule of law and what the decision should be based upon. So that judge is held in high expectation. Therefore, they are, he or she is called your honor. And to go a little further, uh, talking about honor, meaning to be held in high expectation, to dishonor means to treat as common or to stain one's character. So to honor you, I hold you in high expectation. I hold you in high estimation because of your uh, because I put great worth on what you say, what you do, how you perform, because you are being honored of what you have performed. So when I dishonor you, I treat you as common every day, you know, uh, or when I to dishonor someone is to stain their reputation. And when you see this word dishonor and you think about God in our day, look at how much God is being dishonored, how he's being treated, how the son of God and how the scriptures have been treated as common. You know, there is no honor in it. There's no, there's no honor in marriage. There is no honor in, you know, in, in holding yourself pure as a young man or young woman. There is no honor. And uh, as a matter of fact, your character is stained or you are, you are dishonored. If it's, found, if, you, if it's found, you know, that you are holding yourself out uh, uh, from, from uh, uh, you're preserving yourself, would be a better way of putting it, as a young man or young woman until you get married. All of these things are being dishonored. Because if we go back to what uh, we read earlier in Romans, it talks about how that they hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they call evil good and good evil. So now let's go on now to uh, one of the God's definitions of what I thought was a good one to bring out. This is in 1 Samuel, uh, second chapter, around the 30th verse. And just to give you a little, um, just a precursor to what 1 Samuel 2.30 is, and we're not going to read it, but... The Lord began to talk to uh, Eli. Eli was a prophet in the days of, uh, of, of Samuel. And we know that Samuel, there's two books in Samuel, first and second. And Samuel was a child as a young boy to uh, be a service unto God. And God gave him as a gift to his mother because she was barren. And his mother promised the Lord, if you give me a child, I will dedicate this child to you. So after this child was weaned, he was brought to Eli, the, the high priest, and this is what Samuel did. He served in the temple. Well, Eli also had two sons. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. And, uh, and as they did not honor God. Scripture records how that uh, when the women came to worship, they, uh, they used them. They had sex with them. They took the money from them. And they dishonored God. And because they did this, God... Uh, spoke to Eli and told him the things that he should do. And Eli, although he talked to his sons, he did not take them out of the office. He let his son stay in that office, dishonor God, disesteem God. And when people looked at the high priest and looked at the, the service of God and, and how they stole from the offerings of God, and the man of God seemingly did nothing. Although he said something, he didn't do anything. So by him not doing anything, he dishonored the father. And this is the same way that we can, we are do, we can be guilty of that when we see wrong, when we, when we see things happen, you know, we don't do anything about it. I'll just give you an example. I, uh, a few days ago, 
I was at a place where uh, my friend and I played golf, we were getting ready to leave, and we see this truck back up. It backed up and just slammed into another uh, truck. And I, we, my, my friend and I, we looked and we said, well, surely he'll get out and check it out. And if nothing else, getting kind of dark. So he could just put some paper on it. He could have went back inside because there wasn't a lot of people there. And just say, hey, I'm sorry, I hit somebody's truck. If nothing else, we couldn't find them. You could at least left your number, tag number, and say, hey, I'll make things right when you return. Or he could have just waited till the person came out. But instead, he backed up in the truck, hit the other vehicle, and sped out the uh, out of the uh, parking lot. My friend and I looked at him and said, and he saw us. It wasn't as though we were on the other side. We were right in his view. He came directly at us, passed by us without even a thought to stop, and drove out. And the good, right thing to do was for us to stay and report it. And I'm going to say, now, you know, so many times people don't confess, but I have to confess. I said, well, I wonder what people are going to do. And later on, uh, to tell you what happened, my friend said, no, Eric, let's stay. Because I got the tag number and we waited for somebody to come out. And I was getting ready to leave. But a young man came down. We gave him the information and everything was closed. But and, and then, of course, we met the person whose truck it was. And then we gave him our number and phone number, told him what we saw, gave him the tag number and uh, to finish that. But the point I'm getting back to is at the time it had happened, I took no ownership of it. And I thought about it later on. I said, Lord, that, that wasn't right on my part. I should have voluntarily went in and made this um, and made this report. But I waited. And see, that's something that I had to say, Lord, you know, I repent for that because I could have done this and made it much easier on the person to get this information. Again, we gave the information. We met the person. We gave him the tag number, color of the vehicle. And I pray that all is closed for that. But my point is, and to get and to put myself in that position is that we honor God when we do the right thing. Not when we, and, 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 and not just say, oh, isn't that sad? But to, but to when we do things, and now going back to the story of Eli, Eli knew what his sons were doing, but he did not do anything about it. So the scripture I want to read is 1 Samuel 2.30. And it's the latter part of uh, this 1 Samuel 2nd chapter 30 verse. It says, be it far from me. This is what God is, the man of God is telling Eli. Be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Again, when we talk about being honored, it means to hold in the high estimation. Because we as New Testament believers have more than what they did under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, God was with them. God, uh, his anointing was upon them. In the New Testament, God is in us. We carry the anointing. You carry the anointing. When you show up, the anointing of God shows up. When you show up, healing shows up. When you show up, deliverance shows up. Because Christ in me, as Paul said, the hope of glory. We carry hope because we carry Christ. And when we have that knowledge, and we do, and when we acknowledge that God is in us and God will use us if we make ourselves available. 
we have so much more. That's why Jesus said when he's when uh, the apostles of, of uh, John the Baptist came and Jesus showed them, he raised them in from the dead. He opened blinded eyes. He healed the sick and he told John to go and told John's disciples to go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. And he and he, he, and he told him, he said, you tell John, I'm going to put it in my own words. He said, don't be offended. He said, he that, that, that is not offended in me. In other words, he's saying, if you look and you see what I've done. And you should glorify God because of the, of the things that you heard. John didn't hear them, but his disciples did. I'd rather see them. But John heard. And because John heard about what Jesus did, then he can connect the dots and say, okay, I remember that over there, over in Isaiah 35, that this is what the Messiah would do. So what I'm saying to you is that we must honor God. When, or rather, we honor God. When we put him first, when we recognize who is in us, when we recognize uh, uh, and glorify God for what he's done, who he is. And when we come to an issue or come to a problem, don't try to solve it yourself. Uh, First Peter says that cast all of your cares upon me, for I care much for you. I said, first Peter five, he said, I care for you. He said, give me all your cares and we dishonor God. Are we, um, uh, we, 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 when we try to be like God, without God, you did, we dishonor him. But when we desire to be like God and we include God, we honor him. We, when we have decisions to make, big decisions, small decisions, when we honor him, then God takes glory in that. When we honor God, we glorify him. When we include him in our everyday life, not just when you're making the big decisions, not just when you're deciding which house to buy or which uh, car to buy, or who am I going to marry, Lord, or what city am I going to live in? If you're not the, uh, including God in those kind of decisions, you're missing out on some of the blessing, most some of the greatest blessing you will ever have in your life when you include God, not only in the big decisions, but also in the small ones. Lord, how can I resolve this issue? Lord, how can I bring uh, glory to you on my job? Father, how can I teach me how to raise these children? Lord, help me to be a blessing to my wife, a blessing to my husband. Teach me, Lord. This brings honor to him because then you include the God of all wisdom, the God of all knowledge, the God of all discretion, the God of more than enough. He wants to overflow you. He wants to overflow us, but he's waiting on us to include him in our day-to-day actions. So let's go now to an example of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of honoring God and having bringing him into our day-to-day decisions. We're going to go to the book of Joshua, Joshua the ninth chapter and the third verse, Joshua 9 and 3, and we're going to continue in this study. Okay, here we are, Joshua 9, verse number 3. And again, just to give you a little thought, background of this, I'm going to read, let's, let's read some of this. And this is the story of as Israel is coming out of, they come out of Egypt, they've come out of the wilderness, Moses has went on to be with God, and now Joshua is leading uh, the nation of Israel. And God has told him, as, you, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. And he told Joshua, to keep this book of the law ever before your face. He said, keep it 
Keep it in your eyes. Have it in your memory. Write it upon your tables. Make sure you keep the, this book of the law, these commandments, which I have given you. And one of the commandments which God had told him was that you shall not make, you shall not, you should destroy all these nations that are in the promised land. He said, drive them out. He said, I don't, 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 don't leave them. He said, because if you leave them in the land that I send you, if you leave your enemies and if you dwell with them, they are going to turn your heart from me. He told them, don't marry with, with them. He told them to not make peace treaties with them, but to drive them out so that they could enjoy the land that God had given them and so that they will not intermingle with the world. And what did he tell us in the New Testament? The New Testament writer tells us, he says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And, you know, and we can use that when we're talking about marriage, when we're talking about uh, uh, looking for our life partner, our life, uh, 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 your spouse, uh, the, the husband or woman that you will marry. And that that's the one of the most important decisions that you will make in this life. That person that you who you are going to uh, bind yourself together with. And the scripture says again, he said, don't be unequally yoked. And some would say, well, you know, he's in church. But yes, but did you include God? Is she, is the Lord, does she love God more than she loves you? Does she, does he love God? Is he a follower of Jesus Christ? If he's not, then wait. I'm not saying that they won't become, they may not, they may not uh, be there today, but have the ability to wait and say, God, if this person's for me, then I've got to wait that they at least have a relationship with you. And just because God said they, they're going to be a spouse or a husband for you may not be that spouse or husband for you today. And many will say, you know, oh God, my, uh, what if they marry somebody else? What if somebody else gets them? Then that means they're not for you. Let's read now again. Joseph, Joshua, rather, right chapter. Going to start reading the first verse. And we're reading about how that God had told Israel to drive out everybody that was that was living in the land of promise because God said, if you leave them there, they're going to turn your hearts from me. Joshua, ninth chapter, I'm going to start reading at the first verse. And it came to pass when all the kings on this side of Jordan in the hills and valleys and coast of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, Canaanites, all of the ites heard about the works of Joshua. I'm going to put a lot of this in my own words. I'm not going to read every verse. They gathered themselves together to fight with Joseph Joshua, rather, and Israel with one accord. And it said, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai. Now, Jericho, well, we all know of the story how that God caused the walls to fall and Israel went in and destroyed the, that nation. They had, the Bible said that walls were so high that two chariots, they could have chariot races on the walls. This was the same place that, <clears throat> that, uh, God had, had, had uh, Rahab the harlot to tell uh, and, and hide the uh, Israelis when they came into the city. And she let them down by a rope and made them promise that when they came back, because the word was, we heard about you. And because we heard about you, you promised me that you will spare my family when you come back. And they did. She, she uh, hid them. They promised her and they freed her. And they were protected her family when they came back. So what I'm talking about you today is that they heard in the third verse, everybody heard about 
and it, and uh, it was all noised all around what happened in in, in uh, Jericho, what happened in Ai. So Israel was right was on the high. They have, they were they were undefeated at that time. Well, they had been defeated by Ai because of the uh, the sin of one of these uh, one of the Israelis when he took of those accursed things that God told him not to. So, but as long as they kept God first, then they enjoyed victory after victory after victory. So now we're going to go over to the fourth verse. And it talks about how that uh, we see what God is going to do for them. So here we are in uh, Joshua 9, 4. And again, the, Gibe, the, the people of Gibeon have come and they've decided that they are going to work an okey-doke on Joseph, jo Joshua. And it says, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and unto Ai, they did work wily. Wily means slick or cunning. And made if they had been ambassadors. They took old sacks upon their donkeys, wine bottles, old and rent and bound up. They got old shoes and cloths upon their feet. And they had bread that was dry and moldy. And when they went to Joshua and said to him, Men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a league, make a treaty with us. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, And preadventure, you dwell among us. How shall we make a league with you? And they said, We are your servants, verse number eight. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And from whence? Did you come? Where'd you come from? In other words, Joshua said, uh, uh, if because they, he knew that God said you, he did not permit them to make a treaty with anyone that dwelt in the land of Canaan. So it's a good thing that he asked them, but why would you ever talk to the devil and expect him to tell you the truth? I remember a story of one of the ministers that uh, I had... Uh, uh, I listened to a lot, and he said he and his friend had went to a place, and this spirit was in this woman. And he said they were praying for her, and uh, there were two or three people there. And he said I was praying for, her, and this other minister was there. He told him, said, "Look, you go and cast the devil out of that out of that woman because they were in a bad situation." He said the man looked at him and said, "Uh, uh no, I'm not casting the devil out of him." He said, "You do." He said, "No, look, I'm over here. I'm ha I'm handling all these problems over here. You go play for this woman." And he went over there, and, and this minister he told he went over there and laid hands on him, and he demanded the devil to come out, and he said the spirit said I'm out, so he went back over to the preacher and said the demon said he out. He said fool, what do you mean the demon said he was out? He's a liar. So why is he going to tell you he's still there? So this is what I say now, and going back to the story is that why if, if Joshua was 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 a uh, was uh was on his what I what we used to call P's and Q's. In other words, he was list, He was if he would have been attentive to the detail when they when Joshua came out and before they won battle after battle, uh, defeated king after king, took down city after city, they would have did something, and this thing they didn't do. So let's go on now. In the tenth verse, and they said to him. We're from a far country. We want to be your servants because of the name of the Lord thy God. This is a nice verse, brother. For we have heard of your fame and all that he did in Egypt. So in other words, they're lying to him. They're telling him to look. Um, it's like I'm here in Georgia and, that, and, and they said, look, we're from Texas. 
We heard all the way over in Texas what you did. And we have come to make a league with you or make a treaty with you so that we can be friends. But how many of you know that the Bible says Satan is a liar and he is a father of the liar? That's why we don't go to the soothsayer. We don't go to the um, uh, palm reader. We don't go to the voodoo worker. We don't do any of those things. Because in this last days, that's what is going to be arising in these days. The Bible says that the, uh, the enemy of Christ, the Antichrist, that Antichrist spirit is going to do great si miracle signs and wonders. They're going to be there today. They can read your palm. They can tell your future. They can tell your past. They'll be able to look into you and tell you some truth. Yes, the devil quoted truth to Jesus. But he will, he will always mix a lie in with the truth. All right, so let's just read on now. We go down, uh, down in the story. And uh, in the 12th verse, it says, this is our bread. Now, they explained to jo uh, Joshua from where they come from. He said, look, this is our bread. We took out of the ovens. It was hot. He said, the 13th verse, these bottles of wine which we fill were new. And behold, now they're torn. And it says, Israel, in the 14th verse, took of the food that they had given and what did they do? They asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. The worst place at times that we can be is in a place of success. All of us are praying. Israel was praying. They cried out before God when there was, uh, there was issues in the camp, when there were plagues in the camp and a new sin was there, when the enemy surrounded them and they cried out and said, God, did you bring us out here to... Uh, to, to, to die in the wilderness, Moses and Joshua, they went before God and said, God, what would you have us to do? Now, here looks like a victorious position. Here Joshua is. Here comes my enemy making league with me. Where this enemy, not even in the, the, uh, the uh, land of Canaan, these are people who are outside and they come to make peace. Maybe we make peace with them and now we can move forward. But the one thing Joshua did not do he did not inquire of God. Therefore, he did not honor God. And because he did not, you will read on that because they gave their word. I'm not going to finish that this morning. But because they did not give that, because they had given their word, they couldn't take it back. Because they had made a promise. And this is what, as we end this message today, it's what we as believers must do. From the simplest decision that you make, honor God. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 7, he said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. You seek, you find. If it's not, if you knock rather, it shall be opened unto you. Because the Lord said, except we come as a little child. The Lord want us to come to him. He says in, Matthew, in Mark rather, 10, 14, 15, he says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. What is he saying? What a little child does, they come before God, they preserve, just like a child does to that parent, and say, Mama, I'm hungry. Daddy, can I have some money to get some ice cream? Mom, do you have an a, 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 a extra blanket? I'm cold. Any little thing, Mom. Can I have a drink of water? Uh, uh, Dad, can you can you can you help me? This is this is too hard. Will you open this for me? 
Those little things are what God delights in because we honor him as our provider. That's why Israel called him Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He was called Jehovah Jireh because they saw him as their supply, as their hope, as their help. And we honor him. We honor God when we put him first, when we engage with him. He's told in the, in, in, in the book of the prophets, he says, um, come, let us reason together. He said, come, let us talk. Come talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this thing that, that's on your mind. Come talk with me. And I feel this is where God wants us to be. That we give glory, we give glory and honor to him. Not only praise. Yes, he's worthy of praise. Yes, he's worthy to be glorified, to be magnified. But we also do these same things when we present to him. We present our issues to him as little children. As children, the Bible says, desire the sincere milk of the word. When we were, you know, when we didn't think we knew it all, when we didn't have all the answers, we came to him and said, Father, I don't understand what this means. Lord, help me to be a student of the word. And not only that, but be a child before you. That's why God said, again, except you come as a little child. In other words, you come needy. It doesn't mean that we don't use our authority. It doesn't mean that we don't use uh, the power in the, uh, of God. But we always come to him knowing that, Lord, whatever I need, as you said in your word in 1 Peter, you have supplied it, given me all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Father, we thank you for this word today. We thank you for those who may hear us. We pray that your anointing and that what you have put upon uh, the, the lives of your children, you put within me. I speak light to them. I speak, oh God, uh, prosperity to them. And I speak, oh God, a brighter day. I pray, God, that they will open their eyes that they may see. Their ears, oh God, that they may hear and may understand what you have for them. We pray for all those who may not, who, who, who needing salvation. I pray, Father, that they would pray this prayer up to me. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe, Lord, that you shed your blood for me. And this blood, Lord God, this sacrifice I received as my own. You died for me, Lord. Therefore, I receive salvation today. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And today, Lord, by faith, I am a part of the family of God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And we say welcome to the family of God. Until the next broadcast, continue with us on Journeys in Grace.